Hey, welcome to Being Creative. My name is Rick Leaf, and as you know, I'm the host of this show where today... Oh, you're not even gonna believe it. I'm starting with a confession, okay? Because, like, I love all five of you listeners. They want you to know that, right? And, uh, but I want to be selfish, okay? I want to do this podcast because I miss it. I've been on the road for like a month, month and a half. And I'm going to tell you all about it, or at least what I'm allowed to tell you about it that wasn't included in the NDA. Is that what it's called? What did I sign? I don't know. But, because I miss this. I miss this for myself. Uh, So, Sometimes I consciously sit down to produce an episode because I have something to say that I think will make your life better. And I'm not sure if this episode will make your life better, but I'm almost positive it will make mine better. And if that seems a little bit sketchy, um, I don't care. I, I don't care at all. I'm, I'm doing it because I'm worth it. And so are you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So the five of you, uh, why don't we just jump right in, shall we? I'm glad you're here. So, today I want to talk about mentorship and I want to talk about stories and why they matter so freaking much. But let's start with stories and uh, your story. You know, when I go into classrooms, and and this is, uh, you know, I do mentorship projects, creative development, mentorship projects. And I used to think that I was going into schools to kind of support their literacy programs or whatever it was. And I realized over the years that's totally not what I'm doing at all. Maybe if that happens, it's accidental. What I'm really doing is empowering students to not just recognize not to number one to recognize the value of their own story but to to try to provide some tools um, and some opportunities to discover what their strengths and their abilities are and give them an opportunity to develop some of those skills and talents and abilities so that they can find a voice to share what it is that they have to talk about what they're going through, that kind of social and emotional development that we're all struggling with and going through in our entire life. But certainly when you're in school and you're kind of emerging, I feel like for for many people, you know, they're emerging into a time when life is more complex and complicated and involved and happening at such varying rates um, with the people that are around them. That uh, to value, to just come in and just say right off the bat, you know, I'm, I'm here this week in your school as an author. And I look at each and every one of you as an author. And for all five of you who are listening to this podcast, I feel like you are all authors. We are all authors of our own story. And if I'm in a room with even 20 people, I know that if I looked around and I would be like, There's going to be somebody in that room that's having the time of their life. They're in a chapter of their story where everything's working out. Maybe they told their crush that they liked them and the person liked them back. Maybe they tried out for the team and they made it and the team's having a great season. You know, maybe they got friends, great friends who are all around them. They're having a fantastic year. In a room of 20 people, I also know that sitting right next to that person is going to be somebody who told their crush that they liked them and it wasn't returned. They tried out for the team and they didn't make it. Maybe they don't have any 
many friends and they're lonely and they're frustrated and they're angry. And all of these chapters that are part of our lives, uh, they're part of our story. And for some reason, and I guess we understand why, like there's, it makes us feel good, look good, sound good, whatever, when we're in a good chapter and we're happy and everything, we're in love and we're feeling cute in our scarf and our little bandanas. (laughs) I'm just saying somebody out there might feel like that. Um, Where... When we're feeling down and lonely and frustrated, it's like it feels like we're failing. And who wants to share their failures? We all want to share their story, their our successes. But if you stop looking at it like success and failure and you look at it like it's just our chapters, what chapter are you in? And no matter what kind of a chapter you're in, that chapter is important in your story, because it's yours, it's your story, and everyone, I swear to God, everyone in this world would say, oh my God, you know, I I went through blah, 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 you know, I was sick and broke, and, and I everything was was falling down around me life was terrible and then you know this happened and that happened and i learned this about myself and i learned this about the world and i learned not to judge myself and i learned whatever, whatever, whatever. and and then a person will will summarize that kind of a story and they'll say you know i'd never want to go through that again but I'd never want to lose what i learned about myself about the world about the whatever i'm sure You've got a story like that yourself. I'm sure that if you thought about it for like a few seconds, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I totally remember. I tried this and it didn't work out. And I remember being totally frustrated and and, and was giving up. And, and what did you learn about yourself through that? That's why storytelling is important. That's why the journey of storytelling is important. And I, I know I've told you this story like a uh, thousand times, but I'm going to tell you a thousand more. It was something as simple as driving down the road in a motorhome with a band that I was playing guitar with. And one of them looked over and said, you know what I hate about you singer-songwriters? It's it's all me, 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 me. Can't you get over yourself long enough to write about someone or something else? And you might not be a songwriter. Um, you might not be a mentor, uh, you know, in, in a, an official capacity, but I think for all of us, If we said, you know, if we were able to get over ourselves long enough to look around and say, who doesn't have an opportunity to share their story? Who doesn't have a way or whose stories are not celebrated, whose stories are not wanting to be heard or or don't find, have never sort of historically or even right now had a place to share their story. Those are the people that I find myself so drawn to, uh, the types of schools, the types of communities, the type of individuals. And to me, that's what kind of this mentorship thing is all about. It's about storytelling and using my ability as a storyteller to help someone else find their voice and their language to share what theirs is. Because you know, these, these uh, ch- chapter, whatever chapter you might happen to be in today, you know, whether it's good or bad, whether you're lonely and frustrated or whether you're on top of the world and surrounded by love and friends and, and you're feeling fabulous, whatever uh, it is, it's your story. It's important. And you can share it. Or you can play those, you can keep it hidden. You can keep those cards close to your heart. It, there's no right or wrong about it. It's, it's 
when it becomes a choice, when you feel like, yeah, I could share this if I wanted to, and I know how to, um, or I could just keep it to myself. That's completely different than somebody feeling like nobody knows how I feel. Nobody knows what I'm going through. No one cares. I'm all alone. You, If you've ever been in those spiraling kind of moments, and I'm sure you have, that's when we realize, boy, to find someone who can help us share our story. Uh, to me, that's just the most powerful thing. And I'd love to share a couple of uh, insights from that when we come I often will say to uh, students, if I'm in schools, I'll say, you know, we, I mean, we all follow, it's the world of influencers, it's the world of YouTubers, so I'll say, you know, like, how, how many of you, like, have YouTubers that you, you like, how many people are following different, you know, influencers? We all do, and I said, you know what the difference between them and you, really, at the end of the day, what it really comes down to, is that those people that you follow, those influencers, those YouTubers, whatever, they took a camera, they turned it on, pressed record, and pointed it at themselves, and they started telling their story. Now, that story could be about hunting. That story could be about fixing a car. It could be a makeup tutorial. It doesn't matter what the story is. It could be like uh, funny cat and dog videos. It, it, people turn the camera on and start telling their story. And... That to me is has been one of the, the funnest parts of giving myself permission to be a storyteller and one of the funnest parts about encouraging others to tell their story. I had just a couple really great moments in one of the, the schools I was in recently. In particular, I was walking up to the school um, on one of the days and uh, there's this one student, they were just so fabulously unique in everything that they were wearing and the their look, just their vibe and their look. I mean, they have a very rich personality that they were expressing so wonderfully. Uh, I don't even want to describe it to you. It was just you would pick this student out of a thousand students. They would stand out. They were just so unique. And I was like... I recognized them from one of the classes, and I said, hey, are you going to be performing? I was doing slam poetry at this school, and I said, are you going to perform on Friday at the, at the poetry slam in the last block of the day? And they said, nah. And they gave me that whole thing, you know, the reason why I'm different, I'm weird, I'm whatever, nobody's going to care, or whatever. And I'm like, I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear anything you had to say. Um no matter how weird or bizarre or whatever, but I could tell as the words came out of my mouth, I would love to hear your story no matter what you had to say. The student just stopped in the hallway and they just stared at me for a second, for a split second. It was one of those moments where I knew I'd said the right thing and I genuinely meant it too, but I knew I'd said the right thing. Like, I don't give a flying rip what anybody in the school thinks of you or... What you think of them, uh, this is between you and me. I would love to hear what you have to say. And they didn't sign up. There was, uh, I don't know, 40 poets or something. They didn't sign up. And then right at the end, um, kind of killing time because we were a bit short. And the some teacher flags me, says, we got another one. And I look up and here comes this student. 
probably obviously had their slam with them just in case. And maybe they needed 40 other students to go before them and share their stories and their successes and their failures. And maybe it was just enough that when we had an, a spare moment, it was like, this is my moment to stand up. And I was just so proud of them. And, uh, and I said that as I was clipping the little microphone onto them. I just whispered kind of from behind them. I'm just like, I'm so proud of you. I'm just so glad you're here and you're going to do this. And uh, that to me, you know, storytelling, uh, I don't know why I thought I could write a book. I'm, I'm famous for how bad I'm at spelling. And uh, that whole, the, you know, the, remember those uh, tests we had to do in school about um, punctuation and grammar? And it was like, take this sentence and like circle the participle phrase and like put a check mark above the adverb. And well, oh, I hated those things. I would break out in a cold sweat, get a headache. I'd want to throw up. I never, ever understood what the heck was any of it was about. So... Here's a guy who can barely, you know, I'm terrible at spelling, barely understands the rules of writing. Uh, maybe in my life I had written a short story that was a couple pages. and No, no, no way did I write a, sh a story more than three pages in my life. And yet there was a point in my life where I was like, I want to write a book. And we sold our house in Winnipeg and we traveled around the world. And uh, my partner and I and our two kids... And it was just the adventure of a lifetime. And I wanted to share that. And uh, I, I have it, actually, uh, a couple copies left sitting on my um, shelf right beside my desk. And I grabbed this one because this was the type of story I wanted to tell. I'm just going to jump right into We traveled for a year, went across Canada, and we went to Hawaii and Malaysia and Australia and New Zealand. And then we flew up to Italy and we spent about three months uh, traveling around Europe, and we spent our last month in the UK. And uh, so I want to drop us into this moment in Sweden, um, because uh, this is the type of story I I was sitting there, you know, at my computer for months writing this thing, just laughing my head off, which was ultimately, you know, the whole point behind it. But um so we're, we're in Sweden, and uh, here it is. That night, uh, Peter, that was our host, took Zion, that was my son, Riel, now it's my daughter, and his kids, Joel and uh, Amelie, to the aquatic center in Landskroner. That's where we were in Sweden. It was a really cool facility with bridges and walkways and a climbing wall on the side of the pool where you could swim to the top and then let go and plunge into the water. While being painfully aware of my many overblown eccentricities, I try not to be entirely governed by them. I chose this night to face my germophobia head on and sat in the hot tub with Riel. My skin crawls at the thought of entering public hot tubs. To me, they're just cauldrons of roiling bum juice and belly button lint. To enter the water at all took a sheer force of will and determination. I glanced at the two submerged men in the tubs, their disembodied heads bobbed in the swirling foam. They didn't seem any more disgusting than any other stranger I'd climb into a tub with. But I'd hardly sat down when the guy to my left stood up. He's wearing a shag rug on his back, and the pile just kept getting thicker and richer the further south it grew. He started playing a syncopated rhythm on his hairy gut with his big meaty palms that smacked like seal flippers. Pap, pap, dap, tap, tap, tap. At that exact 
moment, his friend pulled out his, one of his feet out of the water, held it up in front of his face, and started cleaning goo out from between his toes and flicking whatever he found into the water. I threw up a little bit in my mouth as I scrambled for high ground. I was standing outside the woman's change room waiting for Riel when she came out shaking her head dramatically. Now at this time, Riel is nine years old. That change room was disgusting, she said. She stated emphatically with a grimace. All those women walked around naked and they have all hit puberty. I was still laughing when I got into the car, which made Zion want to know what was going on. When I told him, (laughs) when I told him, he turned to Riel and said, that's going to happen to you too, Riel. It's going to hit you right in the crotch. I marked this conversation down as homeschooling health class taught by a guest instructor. Uh, So there, that's an excerpt from Four Homeless Millionaires, how one family found riches by leaving everything behind. I'm not sure I can leave... uh, I'm not sure I even know how to leave links to anything in the show description, but if I can figure it out, I'll leave a link. You can find that on Amazon and a number of different places online, but... I read some books, some stories about family travel, and they fell into two categories, and I didn't like either of them. One was like, it was just so serious and sappy, and it was just like, oh, the kids were like building, you know, sand castles, and then we just fell in, I don't know. That was terrible. That story was terrible. I don't even know what that voice was. That was the worst voice ever. Um, Anyways, they were either sappy and mushy and I just hated it or they were, they just focused. I remember one, I don't even remember what it was called, but they just focused on all the bad times, all of the the things that didn't work right. And I was like, you know what? Like, I get that sometimes like that, those dudes really did gross me out in the hot tub that who pulls their toe out, who pulls their foot out and starts cleaning between their toes in a hot tub. God, like... So to be a germaphobe, that was even worse. But I, even if you were like got a fairly firm constitution out there, if you were sitting there, that's just gross, man. It's rude. So my point of sharing that was like whatever story I wanted to tell, I wanted to st- tell an irreverent, hilarious story about the fun, about the adventure. Um, you know, my kids were nine and thirteen at the time, so to be crammed together in cars and hostel rooms um, and hotel rooms and to be together 24-7 is probably not something that I would recommend most families do. But for us, it changed our, our family dynamic. We always were close, but that just made us even closer. And to this day, we're able to remember and reminisce about certain stories and perspectives that we all had and certain things that were going on, you know, in the back seat with the kids that we were unaware of or things that were going on for us as adults in the front seat that they were unaware of. It's been really fun. 
So whatever your story is, whatever chapter you're in, it's important. You're important. And if you can find a way to share that, that is what is truly valuable. And that is going to bring us to our next little segment. Here's the thing about finding our voice um, and, and the value of stories. It's all true. Um, I, I talked to somebody a couple of years ago. I, I was up north, Northwest Territories, up in the Arctic, and uh, working with these really cool indigenous communities that I've worked with for years. And, and because of that, I'd become Facebook friends with a number of chiefs and a number of elders in a few different communities. And I happened to find this thread one night on Facebook of all of these different chiefs and elders from different communities who are lamenting the fact that they didn't receive funding from uh, a particular grant that was um, offered through the Canada Council for the Arts. And uh, as I was reading their comments, you know, there was a number of them said, we've replied this however many years in a row and we never get it. And it just takes so much work and we've kind of given up. It's really disheartening, blah, blah, blah. Now, I happened to run into somebody within a few months of that moment who actually sits on the jury for uh, different grant cycles for the Canada Council for the Arts. And I shared this story with them and they said, oh, yeah, we always get those uh, kind of uh, uh, grant applications and we always say no. (laughs) And I was like, why? It seems like the very kind of thing that, you know, the kind of projects, storytelling projects about language or elders or stories or or traditional culture, whatever, that you would fund. And they're like, yeah, you don't need the Canada Council. Just go do it. And I immediately understood what they meant. And I believe that that's true. And it's also unfair all at the same time. Because it is true. You don't need tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in a grant from an organization like the Canada Council for the Arts. In this day and age, the little device that you can't put down that is in your pocket uh, that has a camera and it has recording equipment in it and it has microphones and you can take photos, that little phone in your pocket is literally all you need to do what they're probably pro- um, proposing in these grants. We want to take some, collect some stories from our elders. We want to collect uh, language and bit like the amount that we're able to do with these computers in our pockets. Amazing. Now, so I understood what the person from the Canada Council was saying. You don't need us. You don't need a massive grant. You don't need producers and directors. You don't even need a massive budget. But it's unfair to tell somebody that if they've never had an opportunity to work with any of that equipment, if they don't even know what that equipment would possibly be, how to plug it in, how to use it, how to edit a video, how to edit uh, an audio track. And that was where I was like, you know what, back to that whole motorhome conversation. Can you get over yourself long enough to, you know, tell stories about someone or something else? Well, can you get over yourself enough or can, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to work on a number of TV shows and some documentary films, and I've had the opportunity to work, uh, in recording studios, many recording studios for myself and to produce albums for myself and for other artists. And I was like, you know, I don't know anybody who would be better suited and, uh, 
with the experience and the, and the training than myself to be able to go into these communities and mentor people on what equipment they could get, what, how they could use it, how they could tell their own stories, which is what I've been doing um, for years now. So when I think about mentorship, to me, it's about empowering somebody to tell their story and in, and in validating the fact that I don't care what chapter you're in. And in fact, I don't remember who said it, but it was a long time ago. Somebody was like, yeah, people say, oh, you know, Oprah, she's, you know, so inspiring. And uh, wh- whoever it was, it was like a, it was a rap artist who had said to somebody in, in this conversation, they were like, yeah, you could look at Oprah as a billionaire and you could, you know, maybe be inspired by her story, but could, do you believe that young women um, in America can relate to Oprah? And I was like, oh, that was the moment where it was like your struggles, your faults, your failures, your frustrations, your loneliness. These are all chapters that everybody goes through. So everybody can relate to it and everybody can empathize. And if you tell a great story and you're honest enough, people can find themselves in your story and parallels to how they would have done things differently or similar to you. And I find that really... uh, one of the things that really drives me. That's why I believe mentorship matters so much. That's why self-expression is so hard and why it's also so important. And when it comes to something like, you know, slam poetry, um, slam poetry is a performance art form. It's unlike, you know, traditional poetry, which is written down in books to be read, you know, in journals or in books or online or whatever. Where slam poetry, the only way you experience it is if the poet gets up and performs it or slams it or it's spoken word or whatever you want to call it. Now, what I like about that is, you know, we take the time. We take the time to write down what we have to say. We try to find imagery and metaphors and we use certain performance things like, you know, do we speed up? Do we slow down? Do we say something louder or quiet? Do we use a pause? Like um, I had a a slam about trying, how I like it when people try. And there's a part where I'll be like, you know, I love it when people try because that's when you can see the fire in their eyes as they sail the stormy seas of life like a boss tossed by the waves. They avoid the ways that hopes get dashed on the rocks at common sense. And I hope that your curious minds question that line. Because above all else in this life, you need to find uncommon sense. Because what's common about being your best? Common is the word that best describes everything else. Now, so that was a little excerpt from that slam. When I'm saying the part about I love it when people try, because that's when you can see the fire in their eyes as they sail the stormy seas of life like a boss tossed by the waves. They avoid the ways that hopes get dashed on the rocks of common sense. I want to use that, I want to perform that element louder and as fast as I can so that the words come crashing out of my mouth like what I'm describing, this person fighting against the waves and the water and the storms of life, trying you know, to keep their head above water. If what I'm saying is matched with what I'm saying, if how and what, and, and it, it really helps to paint a picture in the audience's mind to, to see what it is that I'm seeing, to feel what it is that I'm feeling. And I feel like that, those elements of storytelling are really powerful. 
and and it's actually um, what's his name? Marcel Prost. Is that his name? <laughs> Who am I asking myself? I'm just gonna snap my fingers for a while. Um, he he was like the real um, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. That that to me is this this um this process of mentorship. It's like helping students see themselves with new eyes. They might be locked in this little northern community. They might be um, growing up in this, you know, overwhelmingly conservative, uh, if it's not too rude to say, you know, redneck um, environment. Maybe they're an artist. Maybe they're flamboyant. Maybe they want to feel fabulous. Maybe they haven't seen anyone expressing who it is and what it is that they feel they are. And it's in that moment, it's like, your story is important. The chapter you're in, the struggle you're in, it is important. It's why self-expression is so hard, but it's why it's so important because our story matters. And not only is it your right to share your story, it's your responsibility. Nobody can do it for you. So the chapter you're in matters, you know, and if you can find a way to share it, if you can find imagery, if you can find a way to paint a picture with words or to use speed and volume and pause, these simple little elements of the human language to transport your audience to a place where they see and feel what you hope that they could see and feel, which is ultimately you. I don't know when I got involved in social media. You know, I think it was 2005 or six that I probably got my first Facebook uh, account. And, uh, but it was MySpace before that. And, you know, it's just grown. We're all in it in a million different ways. And here's, I, I believe at the beginning, oh, 100%, I would, I would, I would uh, admit this. It felt like, um, high school all over again. Like if I was touring and I would do shows night after night after night and I'd go back to the hotel room, you know, and, and maybe I'd be laid in bed or, or maybe it'd be the next morning when I got up and, and you'd have 10 or 20 new friend requests. And it just felt like, oh my God, I'm so popular. Oh, I'm just like doing, it's so good. This is for my career. And I'm like, and then you got like a thousand friends on Facebook. And you're just like, look at me go. Like I've just got I'm my, my influence, my power in the world. So many people care. I remember this one day I was posting every single day. And I remember this one day I wasn't around. I couldn't post. And it was like this thought ran through my head. It was like, how are people going to get through their day? <laughs> I just pictured, you know, all these people, hundreds of people going back to their page, refreshing it. Where's Rick? Why has he left us? How are we supposed to get there? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that was 100% me. Here's why I think social media, though, is really, really bad for artists in particular, uh, even though we think it's great. Um, one of my, there's lots of ways to describe art. One of my favorite is that art is a conversation with the artist. And I remember, you know, if your favorite painter was having a show, I would want to go to the show to see what, to have a conversation with that artist through their art. What were they thinking? What were they feeling? What are they reading these days? What are they processing? What chapter are they in? Is it dark? Is it light? Is it optimistic? Where, where is it going to take me? I wanted that conversation. 
Same with an, an album, you know, a band would put out their album and you'd want to go buy it. You want to go buy the record so you could put it on and hear what are they thinking about now? What are they talking about now? I want to have a conversation with them. And what is social media? Is it a conversation? No, man. It is like, let, I'll just pick on artists like myself. Um, we get distracted thinking that the colored lights and the cool hats and the fabulous scarves uh, on the stage and with the mic and our guitar underneath the lights, like that's the point. And we paint this picture on social media like we're the hero, the stylish hero on stage with the mic telling our tale. Only the posts aren't a conversation. Unless the conversation, it's a conversation with a narcissist and who's ever gone to a party where they're just like, the person's just like me, me, and then me, and then, oh, me, and then did you see me? And let me tell you about me. <laughs> That's why I think social media sucks. And I think so many artists haven't got it. They haven't figured that out. They think that posting themselves, like we all want to tell those successful stories, um, Life is lonely. Life is frustrating. Life is a thousand disappointments interspersed with some rays of hope and sh sunshine and, and, and little puggles who want to go for a hike on the mountain and, and want to have treats. And, and it's like, but like life is like difficult and, and hard. And I think, yeah, we just want to project this idea of strength and power and we take the most surface, um, shallowest visions of success, like brightly colored stage lights and a microphone to say, look at me, I'm doing so great. But it's not saying anything. It's not having a conversation at all. So whether you're an artist, whether you're a student, or whether just the five of you, I don't even know what you do for a living. Isn't that just so fabulous? I just love that you're just such a mystery to me. But um, yeah, we're here living the best version of our life, I hope. And some of those chapters, man, they're, they're sad and they're angry and they're depressing. And we've probably all gone through chapters that we never want to go through again. I know I certainly have. And I wrote so many songs from those times that I never will never play again. I will never even want to hear them again. But they were meaningful at the time. And I don't regret any of them. Do you know, I remember an album. Uh, it was, I believe, 2006 it came out. And at that time, I was really availing myself of the greatest minds and wisdom and advice from the music industry professionals in Manitoba, where I was living, the, the Manitoba Music or whatever it was called. Um, this uh, art society, or I don't know what it was, this music um, Oh, <laughs> it escapes me what it was, a society of uh, professional musicians. Anyways, and they had resources and, and different people to, to help you out. And I remember going in and, and just really just as a as an eager student, tell me how I could improve my career. And uh, I and I dutifully uh, applied every bit of advice that I was given and it pretty much tanked my career. It was the worst thing I ever did because I didn't realize uh, 
you know, we're, we're living in this very competitive world. I was in a very competitive and creative industry. And I had something very unique that was only going to work for me. And yet, I instead of just embracing who I was and this, uh, the way my career could work for me and nobody else would care, uh, I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to be at those same festivals. I wanted to get the vibe for those same awards. I wanted to play in those same venues. And it was, it was just terrible. It was the worst thing I ever did. Why am I telling you this story? There was a reason. Okay, full disclosure, I had, I had to stop recording and just sit here and have a conversation with myself to find out why I was talking like that. So I take all of their advice, and I, it was time for me to do another record. And I had all these songs. And I went and they said, oh, Rick, you know, if you're going to apply to Factor, if you're going to apply to Canada Council for the Arts and Manitoba Film and Sound and all these different funding organizations, you're going to want to, like, get a, a producer um, hooked up uh, to produce your record who's like a Juno, ideally get a Juno award winning producer and then get a, a studio that's produced uh, Juno award winning albums and then get the top players in the city that, you know, have played on those session players, those studio musicians who've played on Juno award winning records, get all of these things so that when they look at your Grant application, they're like, I know that producer, I know that studio, I know these session players, this guy's legit, he's great, let's give him 40 grand or 60 grand or whatever, and let's let him do his record. And so I did that. I took all the time to go meet these people, to pitch myself to them, to get them to sign up, to get them to agree to do that. I put together this massive proposal. I proposed, I put it to everybody. I did everything you could possibly, possibly do, and I didn't get anything at all not a not not a dollar nothing and i'm living in winnipeg by myself my business partner mj she we just started really working together but she was becoming such a big part of the sound and the music and as a as a song arranger and uh and then she takes off with this band doing a world tour so she leaves winnipeg and i'm in winnipeg in winter by myself and a friend in the city phoned me up and he said, um, I'm moving into a smaller place. I don't have enough room for this recording equipment that I have. Do you want to have it in your basement and play around with it? And I, he ended up showing up and, and just left a recording studio in my basement, which I didn't know how to use. And I figured out how to use it. But, you know, to figure out how to use it, I had to climb this massive wall of self-perception where I was like, I don't know how to do this. I'm not a gear person. I'm not a techie person. I've never been the engineer. I've never I've always been the person behind the microphone. I've never been the person behind the control console. And I needed to say, you know, and and because I didn't get a any bit of money. I didn't have money for musicians. I didn't have money for an engineer. I didn't have any money for anything but myself. And my partner at the time was starting to become a, a tattoo artist. And so the priority was for her to be able to work full-time, not getting paid at this uh, apprenticeship to become a tattoo artist. And it's like, how am I supposed to keep food on the table and pay the mortgage if I can't tour? And somebody gave me a paper route 
um, for the Winnipeg Free Press, and it was like the sketchiest, dodgiest part of Winnipeg. Like the guy right before me had his windshield blown out by a shotgun at like five in the morning. You know, some guys were probably doing a B and E or something, and then he pulls up in his van and jumps out to throw a paper at the house. And I don't know what they thought he was doing, but they, yeah, blew his windshield out, and so. He gives me his paper route and it paid something like 700 bucks or whatever. And it didn't even take an hour a morning. And so I'm like delivering papers. That was so embarrassing to me and my pride, but it was like going to pay the mortgage. And then there was just like little bits and pieces of how to make a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there. We kept food on the table and I would be looking after the kids and I would drop my wife off at her, at her apprenticeship and I'd come back and I would try to navigate all of this stuff. And then usually it was at night after the kids were in bed or, you know, my partner's putting the kids to bed that I would go down in the basement, cold basement in Winnipeg, minus 40 outside and by myself doing everything that I never thought I could do, I'm going to start making this album. And it's not the best album I've ever done. And there's a number of songs on there that I wish weren't on there. And, but I'm so proud of that album because I didn't give up. Everything went wrong. I didn't get any money. I followed all of the best advice. It led me nowhere. It led me to a basement by myself, which I'd never been that lonely. I'd never been that isolated until that moment. And it was like, it felt like there's only two ways to go here. It's a T intersection. It's either give up and pick a different career path to pick a different something to do with my life or figure out how to keep going that direction as a musician and an artist. And I was like, I remember, you know, I'd, I'd got this guy, Murray, he was going to be the guitar player. He's like the, <laughs> one of the top guitar players at that time. He was probably the top studio guitar player in Winnipeg. And I was going to, he'd agreed to plan this record. And I was like, in my mind, I'm sitting down, you know, this song at whatever point it needed an electric guitar part. And I had an electric guitar, but I'm not an electric guitar player. And I remember thinking, I had this expectation that I was going to be somehow the, the point was that I was supposed to play something like Murray would play. And I'm like, I remember talking to myself that night. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not a guitar player. And I just sat there in the dark. I was so discouraged and so by myself and, and so lost in my own judgment and, and unfair criticism of myself. And I remember sitting there looking at this really beautiful guitar and I was like, okay, you're not an electric guitar player, but could you communicate some emotion through this instrument? And I remember out loud, I said to myself, yeah, I could do that. It might not be, you know, great finger style playing. It might not be a great solo, but, but could I make it make a sound that would communicate an emotion? Yeah. Yeah, that I could do. And that was really the whole album. It was, can I do this? Well, <laughs> there's a saying that somebody said, you know, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. <laughs> because if it's really worth doing, and there's no one else, and the best that you can do is a bad job of it, well, if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing poorly. And I really adopted that motto 
as I tackled that album. So that, I ended up calling that album Now is the Winter of Our Discontent. And uh, I said to my partner, I'm like, can you do me an album cover? And can the album cover be this little boy? Um, I think maybe uh, The Corpse Bride, Tim Burton's Corpse Bride movie had come out around that time. And just the the sad kind of um, animation. I'm like, could you make it look like that? Kind of uh, really sunken eyes, but kind of cute, but kind of ghoulish all at the same time. And, and have these little fake wings so that we see this little boy looking up at this little bird in a tree. And you can tell that he wants to fly because that's how I feel. I just wish I could fly. Oh, my God. It's going to make me cry if I think about this too much. But... So she did this out, she did this painting of this little boy in the snow with these little fake wings. If I can figure out how to um, put this online, I will do that as well. <clears throat> or maybe I'll use it for the somehow. I'll try to share this album cover because I still have it somewhere. And the little bird was this goofy looking little dork <laughs> up in the branches. He was a dumb looking little bird too. And I loved that this little boy was picking this not cool looking bird and wishing he could fly like that not cool looking bird. And then my partner puts this little girl. If you open up the album cover on the backside, there's this little girl sucking her thumb, um, looking at the little boy, looking at the little bird. And my kids just decided at that point that... That was them. And uh, so, you know, I remember my son, he would see what, you know, my partner was painting this thing or she's working on this for a bit. And then he'd run upstairs and he'd be like, Riel, mom's almost finished your toque. <laughs> anyway, the whole point, we find ourselves in stages of life and we find ourselves in chapters of our stories that are dark and they're depressing, but there is a way that it is still healthy. There's ways that we can use creativity and we can use our voice and our language to share those aspects of that element of our story from even the darkest corners of our human experience. And that is a conversation we need to give ourselves permission to have. That's a conversation the people around us need to hear, need to hear from us, because of course we don't know what people are going through around us. But I know from going into classroom after classroom and community after community for all of these many years, it's like all of these things are happening simultaneously. And to be great storytellers is to be honest and we don't have to have the happy ending. We don't have to have that happy end ever after. I wrote another slam I should share at some point, maybe next time, about Walt Disney and how I feel like Walt Disney set me up because every story always ended up with this, you know, it all worked out for the good guys. And what happens if you feel like you're the good guy? You want to be the hero in your own story, but it's never working out for you. So here at the end of all things, what has it brought us to? It's brought us to this. I'm gonna lay on, I'm gonna lay it on you right now. <laughs> Being creative, it's a mindset. It's a lifestyle It produces an energy that empowers resiliency and the confidence to face the challenges life throws at us. And that process creates momentum and it's that momentum or lack of it 
that I want to share with all five of you, maybe even six, who knows? I'm like holding out hope that maybe six, maybe even with gusts up to seven listeners will listen to this podcast and these episodes. But whatever it is, if even if it's just five of you, I hope you enjoyed today's episodes and feel free to leave a comment or ask a question. And remember, you're capable of infinitely more than you've given yourself credit for. So until next time, 